Hello there, how's it going? There we go, everything looks like it's working. Um, I uh, am enjoying doing these uh, YouTube lives. I feel like I want to pretend that I'm doing, uh, doing them for you because I'm concerned you're stuck in the house, you got nothing to do, I may as well do more content. But it's actually selfish, it's for me, because uh, otherwise I'll just be kind of on my own going crazy. So doing these kind of like, uh, I find very beneficial. Now, what I wanna do is just kind of take up some of the themes that I was looking at yesterday. Uh, so if, if you didn't watch yesterday's uh, video, then after this, you might want to kind of circle back. Uh, you can watch this without seeing it, but the two of them kind of will fit together. And uh, what I did yesterday was I uh, read The Death of God, the Madman Parable uh, from Nietzsche's The Gay Science. And then we began to explore it and look at it. And what I did is I kind of concentrated on just one tiny element of it initially as kind of the key to kind of gaining an understanding of what was going on at a, at a deeper level. And what I concentrated on is who was the person with the message and who was receiving the message. So I'm going to uh, summarize that and then we're going to go a little bit deeper and hopefully by the end of this uh, we'll get to the point where we'll understand what Nietzsche means when he talks about this higher stage of history uh, that's within the parable itself. Okay, so there you go, all fun and games. Um, if you like what I do, there's lots of free content out there that you can get, uh, or you can get like over 100 hours of seminars and courses on my Patreon, so there's my little advertisement. If you like this stuff, go there and check out uh, what I'm offering. But I am trying to do as much as possible for free uh, just because I enjoy this stuff and um, you know I want the material to be out there. So where will we start? Okay, well basically yesterday I was saying that um, if this was a humanist parable, right, we would expect the person who's giving the message to be secular humanist and we would expect them to be communicating to some sort of religious madman. Right? That would be the expectation, but Nietzsche reverses it. That's not what's happening here. It's a religious madman who's talking to secular humanists about the death of God, saying that you have not uh, experienced this. I've come too soon. Basically, this religious madman has got to the end, has got to what Hegel would call absolute knowledge, or what in Christianity is called salvation, or in psychoanalysis, what's called the cure, right? This is an individual who has got to that place in their lives. Uh, or in psychoanalysis, you can call it the beyond of neurosis, right? Has got to that place and he's looking around at all of these supposedly enlightened secularists and he's the one saying to them, you have no idea what this death of God means. Now, um, in order to unpack that, I looked at this notion of kenosis. And uh, we looked at, I talked about Thomas Altizer, who was this kind of, a, really a theologian of Nietzsche and a theologian of Hegel. And what Altizer explored in his work is the way that a certain type of self-emptying, um, of moving into the profane, of getting into the earth, right, of, of that materialist movement is something that is uh, central to the religious vocation, right? So this is radical theology. It's not confessional theology, it's radical theology. And this idea that the death of God 
is something you have to participate in and it has resonances in cosmology it has resonance within science it has resonance within subjective experience this notion of and kenosis means the self-emptying of god and so altizer sees this uh this vocation of of stripping yourself of all meaning and experiencing the chaos of the universe as a kind of a, voca a theological vocation which the majority of the world that we are in has not been able to penetrate to. Now this is kind of what Nietzsche is hinting at when he talks about a higher stage of history because what he's talking about he's talking about a point in history in which we will enter into the death of God to its kind of fullest extent. Um, so to understand what that looks like, very briefly, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Hegel and what Hegel's doing in his work and see how that's different from the humanist tradition. So what Hegel is doing in his most famous book, uh, which is The Phenomenology of Spirit, is Hegel is basically charting the development of consciousness and self-consciousness and reason and ultimately uh, spirit uh, through contradiction. So at the very start of the book, he begins with what's called sense certainty. And he goes from sense certainty to something called perception and perception to understanding, understanding to self-consciousness, self-consciousness to reason, reason to spirit, spirit to religion, and then religion to absolute knowledge. And each of these chapters is kind of like the result of a contradiction that arises in the previous chapter. So what Hegel is exploring is how uh, progress in general um, happens through contradictions. We have a position and then we start to see deadlocks. We start to see problems within the position that we have. As we work through those deadlocks, we get to a deeper place, uh, but that then generates deeper, more intractable contradictions. And then we wrestle with them and then we get to another space. We kind of keep moving forward. And there are various forms of consciousness, which basically means various qualitative movements in history uh, in which we move from one type of consciousness, from one type of being to another. And this movement is the result of contradictions. And so very much, it, this is kind of obvious in our everyday lives in a way, is that we make progress in our thinking when we hit a negation when we hit something that is an obstacle that challenges what we believe. And as we look at that and as we engage with it, then we can develop and then the process can, keeps going. And um, for Hegel, it's not so much that there's an external opposition that we hit. So it's not that you have certain beliefs and then somebody externally critiques them and then you rethink. Uh, at a more fundamental level, even if there was no external uh, critique, internally the critique would generate. The position generates its own contradictions. So that's why for Hegel, you don't, you, don't, you don't try to start from the right place. There's no right place to start when you're trying to think correctly. You start where you are, you go deeply into where you are, and as you go deeply into the position that you already have, you find the contradictions and the deadlocks and that kind of starts moving you forward. Uh, now Hegel's doing this on a very cos cosmic level. He's looking at the development of consciousness, our sense of the external world. 
um, and self-consciousness or consciousness of consciousness and then reason how we conceptualize you know, he's looking at these incredibly complicated developments that have happened throughout history um, and how they are generated by a type of canonic uh, self-emptying right every position kind of finds its emptiness finds its lack finds its deadlock and then in trying to address that moves forward but it's not progressivism right so progressivism is you're moving towards less and less contradiction you're moving towards an omega point Hegel is a type of apocalypticist he's moving deeper and deeper into contradiction right um, and every every movement uh, brings you to something even more even more uh, uh, difficult to untangle and I think I've used this example before but even if you go to a therapist and you're biting your uh, jaw you know you're clenching your jaw at night and uh, this is a symptom uh, maybe what you'll discover is this 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 uh, symptom and all a symptom is is a, a congealment of contradiction so this symptom of of, of of like keeping your jaw really tight at night might be connected with wanting to say to your partner that you're angry and frustrated at something but also not wanting to say that so there's these two desires within you and so you want to open your mouth and you want to keep it closed and the symptom is kind of like this closure of the mouth but then that symptom has led to a kind of a deeper contradiction within your relationship with your partner but then when you look at that that might connect with a deeper contradiction that was with your siblings when you were young which leads to an even deeper contradiction that was connected maybe with your parents and how you were brought up which then connects with an even deeper contradiction of the contradiction of just being a human subject and so what you find is instead of thinking of like what counseling is which is the resolution of contradiction and, and life coaching right which is to resolve the contradictions psychoanalysis is you go deeper and deeper into the contradiction that's a canonic type of journey now the trick with Hegel is there's a certain point at which you shift perspective so you're going deeper and deeper into the contradictions right and, and think of Marx in this I did a I did a Facebook or sorry YouTube live video last week um, I think looking at uh, Feuerbach and Marx called religion and contradiction so if you want it more on this have a look at that but um, you know I looked at how within Marxism there's the idea of you know the master slave mode of production where masters demand slaves work for them through force might is right and then how that gives way the contradictions of master slave mode of production give way to feudalism and feudalism has oppression but now it's kind of ideologically justified by the church and the state the educational system uh, and then that the contradictions then give rise to capitalism where the contradiction is hidden within uh, alienation and surplus value the labor never gets the the the, the right amount for their labor right say so we looked at that in another seminar but the point you can see is this is a constant movement of a of a contradiction in one space in history leads to the development of another mode of production another way of producing and marketing and exchanging goods right and that gives way to another now with for hegel there's a moment at which our focus shifts and it's no longer that this deadlock or contradiction 
is something that is bringing us closer to a truth, right? Bringing us closer to some sort of utopia in which we'll be without contradiction. For Hegel, there's a moment when we realize that the contradiction is the truth, that, that we're trying to always resolve it and get rid of it, but there's something in the very nature of thought and being itself that is never at one with itself. There is a, a type of reverberation within the one that, that is connected with everything. Now, this is why Hegel kind of like, the pinnacle for Hegel is religion before absolute knowledge, right? So why, is, why does Hegel kind of like lead all the way up to religion in this book? Um, and it's because Hegel sees that within, for him, the pinnacle of religion is the insight that the absolute is self-alienated. The absolute is not at one with itself. And for Hegel, as a Lutheran, this is Christ crucified, right? God is not at one with God. God experiences the loss of God. That, for Hegel, is the moment at which we realize that God is not the resolution of the contradiction. God is the contradiction. The contradiction is in the heart of the absolute. Now, for Hegel, then the next step is the speculative philosophical description of that, and that's what's called absolute knowledge. So for Hegel, salvation is absolute knowledge. This is the point when you, and he calls it, when you realize subject, uh, sorry, when you realize substance is subject, which means when you realize that reality itself is, has a lack or a negation within it. Now, I wanna call this redoubled kenosis. So kenosis at one level is you continue to experience a type of lack within your current position. The problem with that is you can often start seeking some way of plugging that lack up and you start to blame people, right? You, you reduce contradiction to opposition. You start to think the reason why I feel this lack is because of some group in the world, not because of some inherent dimension within reality. Um, but redoubled kenosis is the moment when you experience that uh, within, uh, you see that the, the contradiction is within the heart of reality itself, right? I'm going to unpack what that means, so don't worry. Um, so that's kind of the Hegelian movement. You keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. This is very uh, kind of anti-humanist in a way. So the humanist tradition is much more connected with Feuerbach, right? And so what Feuerbach's position is this, in a nutshell, and again, I go into it in more detail in the Religion and Contradiction seminar, but Feuerbach's position is that in order for human beings to come to understand their essence, what it is to be human, they have to externalize it onto something outside of us. And then you can see the essence and then eventually you bring it back into yourself. So this is a, a view that then is taken up by uh, Freud. And it's this idea that we, we come to know ourselves through some sort of external other. So it's a very, um, it's a very uh, uncontroversial view kind of within the psychoanalytic tradition, right? But Feuerbach is really using this idea. So for Feuerbach, God is the reflection of what it is to be human, right? We don't know what we're capable of at some earlier stage in our history. We, don't, we haven't really worked out what justice, forgiveness, mercy looks like. Uh, we, haven't kind of find, we haven't found a way to, we're too close to our own selves. So what we do is we project those onto the screen of God. 
we develop them. So you see in theology, in classic theology, that the development of these concepts is, is theologically, we come to understand justice and mercy and goodness. But then Feuerbach says, but they're out there on the other. And so the role of uh, um, the philosopher and also the priest is to then bring that back into human community and realize that we are justice, that we can love, that we have mercy, that we can change the world. And this is why Feuerbach says, I am a friend of the theologians, right? He was a very much a theological thinker. And there's something of this movement that is from Hegel, because Feuerbach's a Hegelian. But what, what you see is the idea that uh, the problem with religion and the problem with God is God is substantial, right? God is the singular being of love and justice and mercy and goodness. And what we need to do is realize that that is a reflection of human society at its best. Now, it was Marx who, and Steiner, but Marx who really kind of like uh, uh, saw the weakness in this, and this is why Feuerbach's not really a major figure in philosophy, although I like him a lot. He, he's a very minor figure, and it's because there's an important dimension that he missed. And it's that Marx develops the idea that God is not a reflection of our human essence. God is a reflection of the current ideological moment. If you want to know what the uh, aspirations, hopes, dreams, and basically the ideological commitments of the day are, you look at the gods that you create. So he calls it basically an encyclopedic entity, or sorry, an encyclopedic entry that tells us something in an idealized form of our current reality. So today, Hollywood movies are an example of that. Hollywood movies don't tell us who we are. It tell, they tell us who we are in our current ideology. They tell us what our current kind of a, a way of understanding ourselves is, right? Now that was important because Marx then developed out of that the idea that um, religion makes eternal what is temporal. It tries to, well, the religious critique, this is the interesting thing, is it, when you kind of see God as substantive and then you critique that God and you say, that's us, what you do is then you make human society substantive, right? We, this is who we are, this is who we can be. And you eternalize the moment, you take the the current mode of production, the current epoch, and you kind of imagine it to be just the way it is. And the problem with that is your only critique then of the current situation is to do with bad actors. So you think like, oh, the reason why we're having trouble is because there, there are bad CEOs out there, because uh, um, uh, there's dishonesty, or because immigrants are taking the jobs, or because, 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 whatever it is, it's like you're not questioning the system. The system is kind of just the way it is. We're, we're at the end of history. This, this is just the way it is. So the problem is simply kind of fixing the system that gives everybody a fair shake. So you'll see this with the fake left. The fake left um, uh, are all about, in a sense, kind of getting rid of the bad CEOs, the bad actors, getting representation over reformation, over kind of like a, a revolution of the mode of production. Um, now then, right, oh yeah. So within a kind of the humanist perspective, you don't have this Hegelian movement into greater and greater contradiction until 
you encounter the contradiction within reality itself. It stops short, right? That's the kind of idea. So what you do, what people do then is they look for the same stability that they used to get from God in a political or economic system. And they go through the same, uh, it's they've exactly the same issues that religious people go through whenever their notion of God begins to shake, whenever something comes in and, and challenges it. And the two things I mentioned last uh, yesterday were kind of you, you double down, you go like, it's all going to be okay, it's all fine, there's nothing wrong. Or two, you find rituals that take away the anxiety so you can face it. You can say, oh, I, I'm embracing doubt and unknowing and it's all collapsing. But as long as you do certain, you go to church and sing the songs and uh, you know hear the sermons and do all of that, those rituals keep you from experiencing the anxiety of that loss. And of course, we see the same thing today. So when something comes in and reveals the frailty of the system, uh, what we do is we either go and like, right, let's get business as usual, as quickly as possible. We want to, nothing's substantially wrong, right? It's either okay or we will get it okay in a couple of weeks. Or we have these weird rituals that we do that help us deal with the anxiety of encountering the frailty of the system, buying lots of toilet paper or something like that, right? So that, that's kind of the issue. So what is Nietzsche talking about when he talks about basically the religious vocation being this movement into this redoubled kenosis, um, uh, bringing us to a higher stage of history? Well, what, what he's trying to say is there's a point when we realize that nothing can get rid of that lack, right? So in a current system, we often, we want to we purchase more stuff, we want to have more goods, we want to have a certain type of lifestyle, we want to look a certain way, we want a certain amount of fame. These are all just new religious, kind of secular religious notions that will, we feel will kind of like fill us, make us whole and complete, will kind of bring the, get rid of the anxiety, right? Um, which I'll be talking about on Saturday, uh, what anxiety is, but bring the, the get rid of that anxiety. So we're always frenetically pursuing. This is actually what Adam Smith meant when he talked about the invisible hand of the market. What Adam Smith was saying was that there is a certain uh, illusion that we labor under, and it's the illusion that having a lot of money will make us happy, right? That's a very dominant illusion. We have, even if we don't think we believe it, we often act as though we do. And for Adam Smith, it, and he, Adam Smith thought, saw it as an illusion. I mean, he thought that uh, you know, having too much wealth would probably make you very unhappy, right? He's going, it's an illusion. But it's an illusion that enough people give themselves to that then generates productivity in, uh, in, in the marketplace. But what Nietzsche's talking about is what if you stop trying to seek a way to get rid of the contradiction? You, instead of trying to run from this reverberation, this kind of the, the sense of lack, you're able to embrace it and make a space for it. Then you will no longer labor under the illusion that if you have enough, everything will be wonderful, right? You will, you'll suddenly, you'll enter into a new mode of being, right? And if enough people are in that new mode of being, that is a transformation in the very mode of production. Now Nietzsche was not a Marxist, but there's actually interesting connections here. Um, I'm kind of a bit more Nietzschean than Marxist in this point, because, I mean, um, because Marx often, or not often, but occasionally seemed to postulate an end to the contradiction, 
right? Whereas for Nietzsche, I think you see much more of the idea of the next mode of production is when we are able to deal with the contradiction. We're able to embrace it. Now, this can all sound abstract, so I want to kind of uh, make it concrete very quickly, right? What are we talking about? Well, there's different words for this in different disciplines. So in politics, one of the words for this embrace of the contradiction, embrace of the chaos and making it productive is democracy, right? Democracy is the political name for this. Because in democracy, all of the contradictory interests of society are brought together in some sort of mechanism that prevents us from collapsing into a kind of Hobbesian war of all against all, right? Where we're able to even make progress. And of course, the difficulty is democracy is inherently dangerous, right? But it's the best thing in, in light of all of the alternatives. If you try to take out what makes democracy dangerous, i.e. you don't let people who are uneducated vote, right? Or you don't let people who, um, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of start putting all these restrictions on democracy. So you try to create a purified democracy. Well, you're left with no democracy, right? The, the attempt to purify democracy of its dirt is actually you lose democracy itself. Democracy is this incredible thing where the contradictions of the society come together to move it forward. That is a Hegelian idea. In biology, the name for it is, well, Darwin brought the name for it as evolution. Evolution is the discovering the contradiction in biological reality that generates complexity, transformation, and change. In mathematics, you have Gödel and his uh, incompleteness theorem where he shows that mathematics, when it tries to totalize itself, when it tries to get rid of its own contradictions, falls into a fundamental contradiction. And so the incompleteness theorem shows that, that mathematics can't, uh, well, what it looks like on the surface is similar to what Kant was doing in philosophy. It looks like you go, well, mathematics can't describe reality because every time it tries to describe all of reality, tries to map reality, it falls into contradiction. Well, the Hegelian point is, well, that shows that it is mapping reality because reality itself has contradiction within it. Then in, in physics, you have the quantum level of superpositioning. Again, the discovery that, that within uh, reality itself, there is a type of deadlock. Right? These are all developments, so that's biology. Oh, in psych psychoanalysis, the unconscious is the name for this contradiction in psychic life. Right? Um, in radical theology, the name is salvation for the acknowledgement of this. And in philosophy, it's absolute knowledge. But in various disciplines, you get from a movement of, oh, we're, we're moving to get rid of the contradictions to, oh, the contradiction is sewn up within the discipline itself. So just the example of physics. Physics is moving forward by kind of overcoming contradictions and, and working through deadlocks and working through um, uh, uh, certain um, incompatibilities. And then you get to this point where the incompatibility is now integrated into the very discipline itself. So Hegel is really the thinker who gives the theoretical edifice for understanding all of this. Um, and he sees it connected with the self-alienation of the absolute in Christianity. So that's why 
again, Nietzsche is working with this idea of it's the religious individual who is critiquing the secular individual, right? For not entering into this canonic vocation enough. Now, um, it, it may be a long time, it may never happen when we enter into this higher history that Nietzsche is affirming. We talk about the Ubermensch, it's this higher state in which somehow we can build social reality on its very frailty and its fluidity and its movement. And when we do that, we enter into something else. But that, although that might be a long way away, there is a possibility of creating collectives of the contradiction. Now, this is for me what church is, not confessional church that most of the you see on a Sunday morning, but I think what church can be is the collective of the contradiction which is a community of people that are bound together with a liturgical enactment of this redoubled kenosis that allows them to, in, to live out um, what that new society would look like today. So they are an aroma of something that will be baked in the future, right? Um, so that's the collective of, of, of the contradiction. So I think that's primarily kind of what I want to do with, with the death of God parable. Yesterday I looked at um, primarily what it means that it's a religious madman who's talking to kind of the secular atheist. What does that mean? And today I kind of took that and tried to move it to what, is, what does then Nietzsche mean by some higher stage in history? And I went through kind of looking at the difference between Feuerbach and Hegel. So Feuerbach um, very much sees, he's very much about kind of like getting rid of the contradictions, uh, that, that there's a substantive human essence. Uh, Hegel is kind of much more about you're moving into, deeper into the contradiction until you embrace the contradiction itself. And that is the difference, as I said, between maybe counseling and psychoanalysis. It's the difference between confessional theology and radical theology. It's the, the difference between not all analytic philosophy, but some analytic philosophy and kind of the Hegelian uh, philosophy. Um, uh, so someone like uh, Bertrand Russell, uh, the, as opposed to Hegel, right? So you see within these various, it's a difference between classical physics and quantum mechanics, right? You see these, this movement from removing the contradiction to the contradiction being within. All right, let's see if there's any questions. I don't know if anyone's been watching this live. Let's see. Um, uh, da, da, da. I also, by the way, I did a seminar about this on bulverism. Uh, a while back, so I can't remember what it's called, but Bulverism is probably in the title somewhere. It's about C.S. Lewis. Uh, so somebody asks, uh, this is W-E-F-A-9. Um, I hope that's not your real name because it's awkward to say. Uh, is the revolutionary's promise of the um, uh, eschatological end, the, the eschaton, Ironically, the same as capitalism's promise of the eventual fulfillment of one's desires. All right, this is good. Okay, is the revolutionary's promise of the eschaton ironically the same as capitalism's promise of the eventual fulfillment of one's desire? Yes. If, yeah. If I yeah I, I I'm hesitating because yeah let's unpack it. But I think I know what you're saying. This is what Todd McGowan is arguing in his book Hegel uh, after was that Emancipation after Hegel is that, that when we, uh, and Shizek calls this the fake left, but when you start to um, 
get rid of this notion of the inherent contradiction and you start to have this utopic endpoint, um, you ultimately are, that, that is the same mechanism as capitalism. That's the same underlying mechanism. It is the attempt to get rid of the, the sense of the lack. So, which is simply a reflection of, you could call it religion, religi religious um, theology. So re there's religious theology, kind of radical theology and religious theology, confessional theology. So I think they're all linked. So progressivism politically is kind of like a, a type of, we can make it to this end point in which all contingent oppositions will fall to the wayside. Uh, in capitalism, there is this kind of ongoing pursuit uh, never-ending pursuit that's for Adam Smith is is maintained by this desire to overcome the contradiction that actually does have incredible productive power I mean there's no doubt about that my goodness it's just the incredible productive power of capitalism might itself be something that we need to overcome uh, in, uh, increased productivity while very, very important for a long time, might be the very thing that will eventually lead to catastrophe. And so the next higher mode of history that Nietzsche's talking about is, is, a, is a time where it's hard to imagine what it would look like, but it would look like us uh, still wanting stuff. There'd still be production. We still need stuff, but not having this frenetic pursuit of trying to find the next thing that works. And that actually might be the thing that allows humanity to continue to develop, right? Instead of wiping ourselves out. Uh, uh, Lee says, can I please start a cult so I can join it? That's funny. I actually have a good friend, Johnny McEwen, who joined Icon because he said he was worried that I was starting a cult and he wanted to be there to stop it. But, it, but the, the only cult is an anti-cult cult. So if I start my anti-cult cult, you're, I, I will make you the great white goat. Okay, that's your, that's your name. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Lost Keys says, um, oh yeah, you said, okay, so in light of your claims about democracy, what do you make of the role of the state uh, for Hegel uh, in, um, uh, what's the PR, phenomenon? Is it lectures in religion? Anyway, but yeah, I know what you mean. I know as well. Oh, philosophy of right. Um, yes, okay. So this is great. By the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to do some also introductory things. And then I'm going to do some kind of like maybe, say, kind of book studies. So I'm going to maybe have a green, amber, red with, with these courses because uh, we can get, whenever we start to get into these kinds of conversations, we're going to lose everybody lost keys. Uh, I hope you find them, by the way. But yes, this is a great, this is a great question. So Hegel basically um, had a really, this is not for you, this is for everybody else. Uh, he had a very, he saw a role for religion in the state, right? And after Hegel died, basically there were what are called the young Hegelians who saw this radical political dimension of Hegel's work and they took that on. And then there were the kind of the right Hegelians and they were more conservative, they were more interested in Hegel as a religious thinker and as a thinker of the state, a justifier of the state. And those two groups kind of parted ways and the, uh, the right Hegelians pretty much died off and there wasn't very much going on there. I think some of it went into theology. But it was the young Hegelians who 
uh, kind of like really took off and that's where you see people like Feuerbach and Marx and right into the contemporary kind of uh, Frankfurt School, all of that. But the claim that, that uh, Todd McGowan makes, and I think this is brilliant, and I, Zizek does it as well, is he says that the young Hegelians kind of misunderstood what Hegel was doing with state and with religion. And it was that very misunderstanding that has led to the problems within the left, basically has led to the fake left. Um, and the argument in a nutshell is, well, you already know the religious argument. It's like Hegel was actually saying that religion, and by religion he's talking about Christianity and this kind of reading of the, the crucifixion. It's that religion is not some substantive thing. It is rather our direct encounter with something that is not substantive. And so, right, that we need to recover that. So Shizek is very, very key in recovering that dimension of Hegel. The state is something similar. The state is, um, and uh, let me get this right. Um, well, first of all, the state is, is not a meritocracy. You don't get the best person to run the state, right? That's... Kind of, that's what someone like Jordan Peterson seems to think is like you try to get the experts. The person who's best qualified should be the leader, right? The problem with that is actually, you know, the person at the top is more of a symbolic figure. Um, like, you know, Jordan Peterson uses the example of, uh, was it lobsters, right? Lobsters fight, they create a hierarchy. But the whole point about being human is we don't do that, is we engage in symbolic activity. So for example, your psychoanalyst doesn't need to be very good. They inhabit the symbolic position of the analyst. All they have to do is be good enough to inhabit the symbolism of that of that role, basically be able to allow you to trans you know project and do transference, right? They perform the symbolic role and by performing the symbolic role you're able to, you know, find the cure, right? Now, it's the same with um, uh, parents, right? You don't need a parent who is an expert. That's why we don't have classes. I mean, we do probably, but, but you, know, you don't go to a class to become a brilliant you know, father or a brilliant mother, right? In fact, those types of things that are offered in terms of books and YouTube videos, you know, like I think a lot of us are rightly very skeptical of them, right? You do, all you have to be, as Winnicott says, is a good enough father or a good enough mother, which means good enough to allow yourself to inhabit the symbolic structure that will then allow the child to do the project transference and, and develop, right? So the whole point is, don't be a super parent. A super parent would be a nightmare. You just have to be good enough to inhabit the symbolic rule. That's kind of what Hegel is arguing with the state. The state is an idiot. Um, but it's an idiot that, that performs a symbolic role. And one of them, I'll just talk about one of them, is um, the point of the state is to bring us out of our immediate sense of self. So we, I think of my needs and the needs of my immediate friends, and I'm not necessarily connected with wider society, but with the state, I give money and I have to give money, taxes to the roads, taxes to kind of to, for, for police, for the school system, for the, for the medical system, et cetera, et cetera, right? So now I'm being pulled out of my immediacy um, and um, I'm connecting with the wider world. So, so Hegel's notion of the state is actually very, very interesting. Now, what did you ask again? Because <laughs> I'm getting lost. Uh, so, okay, in light of your claims about democracy, what do you make of the role of the state? Yes, yeah, so the role of the state, I guess, is 
to, yeah, very much enact democracy to kind of bring us out of our immediacy to connect us with the wider whole and um, it's it's not that Hegel is a, a legitimizer of some sort of totalitarian state um, he's simply uh, seeing that it has a symbolic function is that any use to you does that or at least does that explain where kind of I'm thinking about that uh, I hope so oh and then you said i.e. Um, it is the state that plays the role of resolving the contradictions in the life of the civil society. I, the, yes, exactly. We're on the same page, you know, I, I, if, unless you're disagreeing with that and you're trapping me, which would be very good as well. But how you've explained it, I think is, I, I agree with you. That philosophy of right, yeah. Um, all right. Listen, everybody, thank you so much. I, I would like to do another one, uh, maybe tomorrow, on what, how do we create communities or collectives of the contradiction and what does that actually look like right so if we should be participating in collectives of the contradiction this anti-cult cult what does this anti-cult cult look like um and uh so i'll my i don't want to promise but um i might do that tomorrow at 12 30 at the same time uh i'll just have a think about it and uh but otherwise i think that'll be my next my next uh, live video thanks so much for tuning in hope you're doing okay and um you haven't completed instagram or netflix yet and you've still got things to to watch and things to do and uh, if we're all here next next time i'll talk to you then bye bye